This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and this is a special episode. All of us are on a new journey together, and it's not one anyone wanted to be on, obviously. COVID-19 has changed everything, and as I read posts from my closed group, some people are struggling more than others to manage their anxiety and help their kids as well. Everything's been called off. There are many whose pocketbooks were already strained, whose lives behind closed doors hold abuse and conflict, so staying at home means not being able to escape or at least trying to evade abuse or addiction or being in much closer proximity to family members that are just difficult and you're trying to manage those feelings. Some of you are caring for others who have disabilities or dementia. Some of you weren't coping very well before and now feel lost. I've talked before about the four responses to fear, flight, fight, freeze, or fold. In these times, flight might look like denial of the reality of the danger or something quite different, trying to actually get far enough away physically to escape. Fight, that probably looks like the people who are starting groups to help, volunteers who are picking up food or helping an older person with a task. The freeze response are the people who are feeling lost and confused, maybe who haven't bought anything or made any plans. And fold, that's where you just feel helpless and almost feel like others need to care for you. These are all normal responses to fear. You must realize that not only are we afraid, but we're grieving as well. Perhaps we don't know anyone who's actually been sick or even died from COVID, but we're anticipating that sort of loss And that's called anticipatory grief. And anticipatory grief can often turn into true, frantic anxiety. The fighters are trying to help. Churches acting as food banks. Universities opening up online classes for free. Exercise instructors leading sessions in a local park. People volunteering to come get food and distribute. As a psychologist, I want to help. As I know that this pandemic will stretch us all. And many were already stretched too far and they may fear breaking. This podcast episode is geared for you if you're one of these people, if you're someone who struggles with anxiety or depression already, or maybe you never imagined a scenario that would actually frighten you and you don't know what to do with fear. Or also this is geared for you if you love someone who you're worried about, whose emotional or mental well-being is very concerning to you. So we're going to sit for a minute with our feelings and try to talk about how we can help ourselves and how we can help others. The title of the podcast is Compassionate and Common Sense Tips for Quarantine Anxiety. And both are needed, both compassion and common sense. I want to divide this episode into three parts. What can you do if you've already been experiencing anxiety or depression and now you're trying to handle the anticipation or the fear associated with COVID-19? And actually, how do you handle the physical distancing that is required for us to remain as safe as possible? Many of you who are extroverts are going to find that very difficult and introverts may have enough of it too. The second is what if you fear the fear itself? 
There's never been anything like this in our lifetime, although I've seen others speak of the Chernobyl disaster, the Holocaust, the nuclear bombs, and the flu of 1918. But nothing so worldwide. What if that very enormity is overwhelming you? And third, we'll focus on if you're worried about someone else and what you can do. When I think of those that might be struggling the most, it's the folks with pre-quarantine anxiety and people who are highly governed by their emotions. Anxiety is actually the number one mental health problem internationally and in the U.S., with panic attacks and social anxiety being the most common I had someone with generalized anxiety disorder tell me this week, and these are the people who obsess and ruminate over the dread of something exactly like COVID-19 happening. They were sort of laughing, and they said to me, everyone is feeling what I've been feeling for years in a fairly ironic kind of stance. It's not that they were discounting those feelings at all. They know in a very real way how the fear can affect your sleep and your stability emotionally. People whose emotions often drown out their logic are also going to struggle and maybe daily or weekly have to stop and consider whether or not their choices are based on impulse or not. And of course, this may be very difficult when the emotional furor of the culture is at a high. So let's talk about if you're anxious or tend to be emotionally driven, how you can keep yourself calmer. Your job your kids' school, your appointments and activities, all of these keep our lives structured. That's why retirement is so hard for some, because they haven't built in enough structure. Now, maybe this is a very Western Hemisphere thing for me to say, and it probably is. There are many cultures that are much more lax about time than the U.S. It was funny to me when we visited Italy three years ago that the Northern Italians are more like Americans, where structure and time awareness is very much a part of their character. And Northern Italians describe Southern Italians as much more laid back and not as time conscious. But all of that structure has been erased for now, or a lot of it. And we each have to begin to structure our own lives, even if you have eight people in your household or you're alone. Both have their challenges. So here's the first tip. And this is definitely a common sense one. You have to set up structure. Think about putting up a camping tent to sleep in, how that helps you feel protected. It provides some kind of a structure, something between you and the unknown. And that's what you're doing. That could be setting up time schedules for kids or for yourself, not feeling as if the day is yawning in front of you because you have things to focus on. I found this model on how to structure time. And there are five time dividers. There's withdrawal, rituals, pastimes, activities, and intimacy. So let's think about those five in reference to your life at home. Withdrawal. That means private time. Time when everyone goes to their corner. Or you could have fun with your kids. You could hang sheets up as room dividers, and they'd have fun doing that. But everyone does something privately. This could be nap or rest time. It could be tag time for you and your partner, one where each parent takes the kids and the other gets to breathe. But you have a little bit of downtime. Younger kids might need a reminder. You could use an oven timer or your phone so they could structure their own time. The second is rituals. This is very important with all the imposed changes that are coming down from our federal government and local government. What are your rituals? 
If you read books at night, that needs to continue. If Thursday is tuna fish day, then that stays. Whatever the family has been accustomed to and can legitimately stay in place does stay in place. The third divider is pastimes. This is play, and play is vital for well-being. Getting outside safely as much as possible, literally planting seeds or going fishing. (laughs) That's my southern, going fishing. Playing online games, playing with each other in real time, watching entertainment like movies or making movies at home with your phone, reading, playing music. Now, playing music doesn't mean you're actually listening to music. You can make a rhythm section out of kitchen utensils. They're singing, drawing, coloring. All of these are ways to play, and you could actually learn. The fourth time divider is activities. This is work, schoolwork, homework, adult work. Partners may have to coordinate with each other when and how they're going to get things done, cooking and eating, laundry. These things can be divided and delegated as well. You want to reach out to those you love, Maybe make things for them. Journaling is a very helpful activity also, as it slows your mind down enough to allow yourself to see something in black and white. In fact, perhaps you could suggest to everyone that they do some kind of journaling during this time so they can look back and see what they learned that they were grateful for, that they missed their friends, school, church, whatever it is that is meaningful to them. We'll all, of course, have a much greater gratitude for that, as this is certainly an eye-opening experience on what we take for granted. In fact, you can take your journaling into actual letter writing. Remember that? (laughs) Some of you probably don't. Some of you may never have sent a letter. Well, now is the time. The fifth time divider is emotional intimacy. The activity that I think that could best help with this is having a time for openness and sharing with either friends, over the phone, if you're alone, or together. Talk about what's the best thing that happened today? What's the hardest thing? How are you feeling about this time? You want to allow yourself and your kids or whoever is in your home to process the feelings each day. That will be helpful. You have to find appropriate ways of talking about this with kids while also trying to keep them from becoming overly fearful. All of this will change their lives and yours, but it will only change our lives one day at a time. Think about your own adult needs for intimacy and make sure you're touching and hugging and reaching out to connect. So with these five things in mind, private time, rituals, pastimes, activities, and times for emotional intimacy, make a schedule, a literal one. What are we going to do from 1 to 2, from 2 to 2.30, from 3 to 4, and then you stick with that. Remember that tent. The structure helps keep things from falling down around you, or at least it can help a lot. It can especially help with the ambiguity. This will also help those of you who may struggle with impulsivity if you stick with a schedule. That structure will bring familiarity and support and help guide your actions. But let's talk about handling the fear itself. No one has known this particular kind of fear before, so I certainly don't have a crystal ball to look into. But I've watched a lot of people fear the potential death of a child who's undergoing cancer treatment or fear what's going to happen to a young adult child who develops severe mental illness but isn't listening to doctors 
or someone who loves another who has a severe addiction. All of these people deal with an acute sense of hopelessness and helplessness. Their sadness is palpable in the room as they talk about how afraid and out of control they feel. They don't know how long it's going to go on or what advice to listen to, including mine. Sometimes in one instant, life has changed dramatically and for the worse. Sound familiar to what you're feeling? Of course it does. So what have I learned from these people? First, I've learned that all you have to control is your own attitude and choices and what you focus on. That's it. You have to slow down and realize what you do have control over and what you don't. You may wish you had control, but you don't. You have to work through those feelings of helplessness. But then if you turn your focus onto what you do have control over, you won't feel as helpless. But there's a second thing. You can try to learn from others that have lived longer than you, faced more than you faced. Hopefully you have someone in your life who you admire that has gone through something really frightening and difficult and done it with courage and grace. What would they say to you now? You can evoke either the memory of those people or actually reach out to them. If you don't know anyone, you can look at the writings of those you culturally know. Maya Angelou has been that person for me at times. Faith acts as this space for many. You're looking for something to ground you, calm you, literally write down what they would say, several times if necessary, several times a day if necessary. But think about people that you admire that have faced something very courageously. What would they say to you now? And third, having a sense of purpose is vital. Try to live in the moment you're in. Find purpose in that moment. What do you want that moment to be? Then you can go to the next and the next. And suddenly, it's tomorrow. This is mindfulness. Whether you do that mostly internally or you turn it into doing purposeful things, that doesn't matter. What your purpose is will depend on your circumstances, how old you are, whether or not you're already immunocompromised. But all of us can pay attention to the present. It's all you've got control over. And actually, to face this fear, there's a fourth. Laughter. Send a funny meme to someone. Share something that makes you giggle. My husband and I were driving to my office yesterday to check on it, and we found ourselves laughing at the silliest of things. It was a huge tension breaker. The third thing we were going to talk about was if you're worried about someone else. Let's say you see someone who's not paying attention to guidelines and who's endangering you and themselves. Then first, tell them your own feelings in watching them. I've heard about this from my own patients who have parents who are not paying attention and going around and shopping. And my patients have children, have young children. So we talked about how to approach them and say, I'm very concerned not only for you about your choices to pretend this danger doesn't exist, but I may have to set a boundary. Now, obviously, this can be very tough. And you may not have to do it if your first appeals to them work. If you're asking for appropriate safeguards, hopefully they'll wake up and not want to worry or concern you. This is certainly a case where you'd much rather someone be overly cautious than undercautious, although the first can turn into hypochondria or completely irrational fear, and that's difficult as well. You can put it in the form of saying, please give me this gift. Give me the gift 
of not having to worry about you or knowing that you're doing what you can to be safe. But we all have this problem in front of us. I used this example last week with a client. If I knew someone was going to approach with a weapon in their hand with the intent of hurting me or someone I love, then I'd find my own weapon. I'd gear up for a fight. But you can't see a virus. The only self-reliance at your fingertips is literally things like washing your hands and staying away from others. It's a very odd kind of self-reliance. But back to talking a little bit about purpose, I think it's purposeful to think about others and how is all this affecting them. What kind of compassion can you have? If you have neighbors who fight all the time, maybe you can wave and say hello from afar and at least be kind. Maybe you can donate to shelters or hospitals or food drives. Again, kindness. Maybe you can spread cheer by loading up your kids and traveling around the neighborhood, offering support from the confines of your car. But it's support, and all of that will act as distraction for you and for everyone else. And a little distraction will go a long way until the acute danger passes, and we've all gotten through this together. No one knows what kind of impact all this will have on our world. As I quoted Viktor Frankl in a recent podcast, talking about what he experienced as a Jewish concentration camp prisoner, he says that knowing the why of one moment can help you live through the how of that moment. So reach for your own purpose. Decide what you want to try to learn. Focus on what you have control over, not on what you don't. Set up schedules. Be compassionate and kind. Get some exercise in your house or in a park or something. Move your body. That obviously helps with anxiety and depression. And please, take care. <laughs>